Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Wednesday, January the 18th, 2023, 7 a.m. here in Spotswood, and what a joy it is to be with y'all this morning. I'm delighted to have this time with you, and I hope that your week is speeding along very well. Had a great night last night at Pat and Susie's for their Bible study on uh, the Holy Spirit, and um, tonight we have church at 645 at... Uh, Old Providence there in Providence Hall, um, prayer meeting, I should say. Yeah, so not a typical worship service. In fact, it's very short. It's 45 to 7.30, and we are out of there, sometimes even 7.25. But uh, it's a good time to have in the middle of the week. Now, welcome back to you, whether you are here for the first time or maybe it's the 50th time. I think this is daily devotional. I don't even know, almost 450 or something like that. But I welcome you no matter what the circumstances are. If this is your first time, you've come at an exciting point as we make our way through the gospel according to John. Yesterday, we finished with Peter's denial of Jesus, his betrayal of Jesus, really. Um, we ended um, our focus yesterday in verse 27. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Oh, my. You know, this is one of those things where the sights, the sounds, the sentiment, right, the feeling. Um, of course, we know that Peter would have been absolutely dejected after this. And we know that Peter's going to end up being restored. But nevertheless, our focus yesterday was on Peter's betrayal. It was also on this kangaroo court, for lack of better term, where the Jews go and get Jesus, but as we're going to see today, they can't really do anything with him, so they've got to take him to Rome. Well, not, not Rome, they got to take him to Pilate, right, um, because of his authority. So, nevertheless, um, y'all, remarkable, remarkable stuff is taking place here, one thing after another, and we are really moving, because what you see, as I said before, in John, things are lining up and lining up and lining up. Chapters 14 through 17 really contain so much teaching, and it's teaching over a relatively small amount of time, but then, after Jesus leaves the upper room, things start happening sequentially, one after the other. And what we see is that Jesus is in charge the whole time. Um, but we also kind of see this Keystone Cops kind of thing going on uh, with everybody. The Jews are falling all over themselves, sometimes quite literally when, when Jesus tells them who he is. Um, Caiaphas, Annas, they, they can't really do anything with them, so they got to go to Rome. So where we're picking up is with them taking Jesus to Pilate who was the Roman governor over that section or, the, or that, that area of the Roman Empire at that time. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's pray, and then we'll read and see what happens. Our Father, please be with us now. Guide us in this time. Help us to see the identity of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us bask um, in the fact that he never loses control, that he is always in power, and that he went forward willingly for your people. What a blessed gift this is. Now, again, please guide us by your spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28, it says this, 
It says, then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, <clears throat> excuse me, uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to meet or to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? I want to pause right there because it's interesting. We don't get it from John. Um, John's focus is really on Jesus here and the aspect of Jesus' power and control. But elsewhere from other gospel writers, you have this little interesting tit for tat, and, and we're not going to turn there. But what we find out from the other writers is that the Jews show up with Jesus early in the morning. Now, something is exposed in what we just read about Gentile Jewish relations, about Roman Jewish relations, and something is revealed about the Jews' viewpoint of, of Pilate and his entire household. Um, and we read it so quickly, you might have missed it. Again, it said, now this is the, kind of the second half of verse 28. It says, by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. Y'all, do you get the picture of what's going on here? The Jews show up with Jesus to the Roman governor, to Pilate. They want something from Pilate, but they can't set foot across his threshold because they believe that by virtue of even stepping foot in Pilate's house, it made them unclean. But something is revealed here, too, because we know that Jesus will, in fact, do this, right? That, that Jesus will have this interaction with Pilate and so forth. Jesus doesn't become unclean. We know that because he would serve as our perfect sacrifice. It just goes to show you how twisted and warped and so far down the road of legalism the Jews had traveled to. And they're dealing with the consequences of this. And the message that they're sending to Pilate is, just by virtue of being in your presence, we are rendered unclean. Now, what's not included here is the little tit-for-tat between Pilate and them, where Pilate comes out, he's like, hey guys, come on in. And they say, no, we'd rather not. He said, no, 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 really, come in. And so you have this thing where Pilate knows what's going on. He knows how the Jews view him, that he's unclean, that he's a Gentile. And that's a tough pill to swallow for a Roman governor, the superpower of the entire world at this time, is dealing with these people. Uh, Pontius Pilate, you know, there's a lot of conflicting back, uh, a lot of conflicting backstory with him as far as how he ended up in Judea. Was this a good thing that he was there? Was it a bad thing? We know that Judea was crucial to the Roman Empire because it was a substantial trade road. So it was important who was there. But y'all, they had had so many problems that, that Pilate was under the gun, or I should say under the sword, right? Under the executioner's sword. Basically, the attitude of Rome towards Judea was no news is good news. Keep the roads open. Keep those crazy people quiet. That's what the Roman Empire wanted out of Pilate. And by the way, they said, do whatever you need to do to keep it quiet. Be as ruthless as you need to be. But you know, getting back to the point here, 
you can see the dynamics of what is taking place unfolding before your eyes. The Jews, the, the, these leaders, they need Pilate in order to kill Jesus. They've got to have his go-ahead. But at the same time, they despise him. And by the way, Pilate despises them too. All right, so you got this, this interesting mix of nobody can really do what they want to do and everybody's relying on somebody else, but they all hate each other and it, it's just a mess. And I think that the reason is, well, I know that the reason is just a mess is because of sin, but in the midst of the mess, you find Jesus. In the midst of all the darkness, you find the light of the world. Now, continuing reading along, we'll just pick up where we left off there, the second part of verse 28. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? He doesn't need a backstory. Right? He knows what they're up to. Something's going on. Does this mean they've done this before? I don't know. It's not terribly important. But Pilate is no nonsense as he deals with them. Verse 20. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. There's a lot built into that. You know, Pilate says, well, what charges do you bring? The Jews say, this ain't about charges. He's already a criminal. He's convicted before he's even seen you. Now, Pilate doesn't, pun intended, say, I'll be the judge of that. But you can catch the tone. Hence, verse 31, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. This is verse 31, second part but we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. But also, y'all, doesn't this show the state of things? Jesus has had one illegal trial in the middle of the night. From the other writers of the gospel, we find out that they bring in false witnesses that contradict each other whose testimonies are invalid. We read about Jesus being questioned before Annas, who wasn't even the high priest, and Jesus was told to tell them about what he was doing. Again, kangaroo court, y'all. It's a kangaroo court in a banana republic, if I can mix metaphors there. Crazy things are happening. But despite the fact that they could not do a legitimate trial, They've already concluded that Jesus is not only guilty, they have already passed sentence, and that sentence is execution, specifically crucifixion, which they did not have the right to do. Nevertheless, after showing their hand, but we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected, uh, we find out that, that this happened um, so that Jesus' words, that prophecy could be fulfilled about the, the, the means of death that he would receive. And so we find out in verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, that's an oddly specific question, isn't it? You'll note that Pilate doesn't get into theology, 
Pilate does not go into, all right, well, I've heard this and I've heard this and I've heard this. Pilate, again, no nonsense, flat out asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, there's a lot built into that. Realize that under the Roman system, um, it, it wasn't that there were no kings, no local officials, nothing like that. Um, in Israel, there was oh, there was Herod, right? But he functioned as King Herod. The way that the the Roman system worked was the Roman Empire would would send its army to a different area of the world. They would find the biggest cities there and they would conquer them, and they'd say, "We can do this all year long if you want to, and we can destroy every city." Or you can come under the Roman Empire, pay some tribute, keep your gods and your goddesses, keep your idols. We don't want them. It doesn't matter. But you got to bend the knee to Caesar and you got to pay tribute. And by the way, we'll, we'll, we'll let you have your own ruling officials. That's how the Roman Empire worked. However, what Pilate is asking Jesus is not just about some local municipality thing here when he says, are you the king of the Jews? What Pilate is really getting at is Jesus's identity. Now, there are those who say that Pilate is asking this as a genuine question, right? That Pilate has been searching. I don't know. You know, different traditions in the Coptic church in Egypt, Pontius Pilate is considered a saint, right? And they say that later on after this, he would convert and all these other things. There's tales of Pilate's wife. We're not getting into any of that stuff. That's extra biblical. I hope that he did. I, I don't know. That's God's business. But nevertheless, what he's doing here is he's trying to really get to the root of who he's dealing with, with Jesus. So, Pilate then went back again. Verse, 20, verse, verse 33, excuse me. Pilate then went back inside in, in the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? You know, throughout John's gospel, we have observed something with Jesus. And it is that Jesus is very, very good at answering questions by asking questions. And y'all, yet again, what do we see from Jesus? we see that Jesus is the one that is in control. You know, again, kind of like with Peter, where we say, oh, I'd never betray Jesus, or I would have done this instead, or maybe he should have done that. We can armchair quarterback, you know, from 2,000 years forward all day long. But when you're standing before Pontius Pilate, who had a trail of blood behind him a mile wide and a 1,000 miles long, and he's asking you questions, and you know that the power of life or death is in his hands, it takes somebody very, very special to do what Jesus has just said here. What I liken this to, and we see this concept, but I'll go ahead and say it right now. What this can best be likened to, do you remember the, the pictures of, of Tiananmen Square, right? And I realize that, that there may be some that are watching this in China, um, so I wish I could take that back. Um, but nevertheless, things that took place in that far eastern country, there were protests that were put on by students and others in a major city in that nation, right? And there's the picture, that iconic picture and video 
of the man crossing the street and what you have is a military exercise of tanks lined up and there's a man crossing the street in his back oh, just carrying some bags in his hands right and he stands in front of that tank and the tank tries to go around him but then he moves over and he stands in front of the tank there now human reason and logic <clears throat> tells you exactly who is in charge in that situation there wasn't only one tank there were i don't even know how many tanks what 100 150 200 tanks that were all lined up human reason and logic says well this man has no chance clearly the commander of that tank the one behind the gears in that tank he's the one in charge but was he? All that tank commander had to do in that situation was push forward. And that man would have been road spaghetti, not to be too graphic, but it's true. And yet, in that moment in time, it was that man, this flesh and bone, in front of that tank that held all the power. What do we see here with Jesus? You see a man who has been arrested, a man who said foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has not a place to lay his head. This man is standing before the Roman war machine, one of the greatest empires, if not the greatest empire. Eh, British could challenge that, but one of the greatest empires in the history of the world. And he's answering questions by asking questions. Jesus continues, or excuse me, Pilate continues, verse 35, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And with that, we find that iconic statement question and really it's more of a quaintment right technically Pilate asked a question in the punctuation which was added later you see that there's a question mark at the end of what Pilate is about to say this is much more of a quaintment though right it's much more of a statement than a question kind of like if Amanda comes in here and says you still haven't taken out the trash technically it's a question really it's much more of a statement but nevertheless Pilate responds by asking, what is truth? With this, he went outside to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? I shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Now, we're going to pick up with this concept of Barabbas tomorrow as we continue along. But nevertheless, see 
what is happening here. Recognize who Jesus is. That the power of life and death by human reason and logic is in Pilate's hands. And yet, Jesus continues on. And what does he continue on by doing? By yet again pointing to why he is there. Again, verse 37. You're right in, in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Pilate couldn't process the truth. To quote a few good men, he really couldn't handle the truth. But y'all, what we see from Jesus is that unwavering mission, that stick-to-itiveness that, that is unique to him, where he knew what he was doing, and he knew what the result would be, and he didn't stop. My friends, none of us are on the same mission that Jesus was on. And, and with this thought, we'll end. None of us are on the same mission that Jesus was on. Because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Remember all the way back when Joseph was instructed by the angel to, to name Jesus, Jesus, because he would save his people from their sins. We are not on that mission. However, as those who belong to Jesus, the one who came to tell the truth, you and I have that same charge. And you and I have opportunity after opportunity. That's all this is. It's an opportunity to testify to the truth that Jesus took. Today, do you have that opportunity? It starts with you preaching the gospel to yourself. It begins with your interactions with others. And no, I'm not saying go stand on a preach corner and on, on a church street corner and start preaching as if you were behind a pulpit in church. Sorry, I can't talk right now. But that's not what I'm saying. But y'all, as those who have been saved by Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it gets back to what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. If you say you love Jesus, you have to love the things of Jesus. And if you love the things of Jesus, you will love the truth. Not only in your own personal interactions, but y'all, not only about your own life, but you will love the truth. As Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Consider, this is my challenge for you today. Consider how it is that the Lord has placed you and where he's placed you in life. Everybody's in different positions. I know that. But consider where the Lord has placed you. Consider the opportunities that you will have today to testify to him. And it doesn't have to be this grandiose thing. But consider how the Lord would have you carry the truth. And after you've considered these things, remember the boldness of Jesus as he went forward unwaveringly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for this account of what Jesus went through for us, your people. Forgive us for the opportunities we've missed. Cannot go back, but please work in our hearts as we go forward. Let us see Jesus for who he is, that he's not this character that the world has created. This man who is... For lack of a better term, Father, just this, this, this light in the shoe, good teacher, wise teacher that isn't really who he said he was. Let us see him as the King of kings and Lord of lords because he is. 
Let us see him as the one who came to save his people, which is us. And let us serve him with gladness by telling the truth. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Alice. Good morning. And there's Christine. And there's the two Beckys. Good morning to you both. And Rose and Elizabeth. And my brother, Will. There he is. Man, thank you, brother. It, it is my honor. May God alone be the glory. Thank you all so much for being here. Lord willing, we'll see you again really soon. Take care.